This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. The stubbornly low oil prices may have benefited environmentalists in a roundabout way. Shell has abandoned, at least for now, its plan to find oil in the Arctic. It's a bit of a surprise since they were so gung-ho about it just a few weeks ago. To look deeper into this decision, we are joined here in the studio by Wharton Sarah Light, who's an assistant professor of legal studies and business ethics. And then joining us on the phone is Lori snyder Benier of Duke University, an associate professor of environmental economics and policy, as well as co-director of Rethinking Regulations Program at the Keenan Institute of Ethics. Sarah, great to see you again. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. Uh, Lori, thank you very much for joining us on the phone today. It's a pleasure to be here. Great to have you both here. Uh, Sarah, I'll start with you. Obviously, you know, part of this is just the decision itself where you have an oil company that is so gung-ho to really make this push into the Arctic, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, they decide not to. what, What was your first thought when you heard about this yesterday? Well, um, you know, I have to say I wasn't completely surprised given the context of what has been happening in the Arctic with all of the major oil firms over the past several years. I mean, this is this is not um, so this this whole process of of leasing the oil and gas uh, wells in the Arctic is something that's been going on now for a long time. Right. The U.S. government decided to lease these oil and gas wells back in April of 2002. Shell purchased them between 2005 and 2008. Um, It's been a kind of long and tortured process for Shell, and Shell was the only major still standing in the Arctic this season that decided to proceed with drilling. Um, Given the low price of oil and given all of the difficulties there are in drilling in the Arctic, I have to say it wasn't entirely surprising. Yeah. Um, But, you know, we'll see how long this decision sticks. Lori? Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, it's uh, it's not terribly surprising given the the difficulty they've had the last few seasons, and they've always said, you know, if they if they didn't find enough oil, they were going to back out um, of the Arctic, uh, and that they're claiming at least that their exploratory, the one exploratory well that they were able to drill this season, um, they did not get the kind of results from that they would have liked to see. Um, but it is true that they've invested, you know, billions of dollars in trying to be yeah. the super major that's going to that's going to make a play for the Arctic, um, including the investment in in drilling infrastructure, but also just investment in human capital and and making um, trying to establish a social contract with the Inuits and and um, other people who would be affected by the drilling. So it, it is a very large investment for them to to walk away from at this point. You talked to Sarah about the the issues just in terms of running an operation up there. Obviously, part of it is probably involving the weather. I guess a couple of years ago, there was a a platform that had been pushed out uh, of of its location 
because of the weather up there, correct? Right. So 2002 was sort of the season of disasters for Shell. Um, one of its oil rigs, the Kuluk, uh, ran aground. Um, a number of Shell's employees had to be rescued by the Coast Guard. Um, so it's a very difficult environment. I mean, one of the great ironies here is the fact that it is only because of human-induced climate change that drilling in these areas of the Arctic is becoming possible and yeah. potentially commercially viable, right? So in 2012, um, <laughs> the Arctic had the lowest level of recorded sea, um, sea ice in history. 2015 was the fourth lowest level. So the, the reduction in sea ice is lengthening the amount of time that companies have the sort of the open water season has mm -hmm. lengthened by about four weeks each year. Um, and that is making drilling even possible. But these are very inhospitable conditions. It's a very short season. How long is that window just in general? I mean, you mentioned the length opening up four weeks extra. Right. It's basically July, sort of end of July, August and part of September. That that's kind of it. I mean, it's a very very small window. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, the U.S. government, which has to authorize the the drilling, um, has recognized the fact that climate change is going to change the window. Yeah. That um, it needs to reevaluate what the window is each year, um, depending upon the extent of of sea ice. The statement said lack of oil, and obviously that that is is obviously a part of it, uh, Lori. But I'm guessing that maybe there's probably a few other factors in there as well, as we kind of alluded to the 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 open window and the investment and the oil price right now being so low uh, that maybe just from a, a strictly fiscal perspective that maybe it's just not the right time for them to take on an even extended uh, investment, which is already into the billions. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, they talked about two things in their statement. One was um, the fact that they didn't find much oil, and uh, the other was the uncertain regulatory environment in the United States. Um, and they actually didn't mention the oil prices, although I think that we can assume that that's a, a huge factor yeah. here. Um, and and in addition to it being an inhospitable climate, which, which Sarah was talking about, um, there is you know uh, the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management and the um, Bureau of uh, Safety and Environmental Enforcement at the Department of Interior did propose new Arctic-specific drilling rules um, just last year um, that are making their way through the regulatory process. And those do, you know, increase the regulatory burdens on any firms that are going to be drilling in the Arctic in order to try to protect that fragile marine ecosystem. And so I think, you know, there are legitimate concerns about exactly how much more will be required to drill mm -hmm. in the Arctic and combining that with the distance to get the oil to the market and the the cost of just drilling in an inhospitable climate it's not clear that the current oil prices would justify that kind of investment. Well, and this also has to have an effect on the economy of Alaska as well, uh, which uh, Governor Walker up there has stated that I guess the, the Trans-Alaskan Pipeline right now is running at about a quarter of its capacity uh, at this point. And he's even made the suggestion about opening up uh, a wildlife refuge to possibly starting to drill for oil and gas, you know, on those specific lands, which has to be a little bit of a, of a worrisome part for the environmental community as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, there's a couple of potentially worrying things for environmentalists from, from Shell's decision that are not directly related to drilling offshore in the Arctic. Um, one is that Alaska wants to fill up the, the Trans-Alaska Pipeline. Like you said, it's running well below capacity. There's a certain capacity that needs to run for the infrastructure to just be maintained. So they do have a, a vested economic interest in trying to find other sources of oil that can travel through that pipeline. Um, I think another potentially interesting um, impact of this for, for the environment that you wouldn't necessarily think of is what pressure the decision of Shell to withdraw from the Arctic might have on um, the administration to open up more of the mid and South Atlantic for offshore drilling. Those tracks have not been drilled for decades forever. And um, they're currently in the next five-year plan to be opened up somewhere around 2021. And there's a lot of environmental concern um, in Virginia, North Carolina, and South Carolina, down where, where we are uh, in Georgia, about the potential environmental impacts of drilling off the Atlantic. But if Alaska is no longer in play, and we're really just looking at the Gulf of Mexico, I expect there to be increasing pressure on the administration to to open up more parts of the Atlantic. The irony, of course, I, mean, I think Lori is absolutely right. The irony, of course, is that in August of this year, the United States Department of the Interior actually held a lease sale um, to sell additional leases in the Gulf of Mexico, yeah. and it didn't draw a lot of attention. In fact, hmm. it only um, attracted about 22 $23 million in sales, which was a very low amount. So to keep this in context, um, you know, Shell's decision, while obviously as the only player, the only major player in um, the Arctic right now, its decision to stop it is a really big decision. In December of 2014, Chevron, which had been drilling in the Canadian Arctic, said um, it was putting its plans on hold indefinitely. April 13th, uh, April of 2013, ConocoPhillips announced that it was suspending its plans. Yeah. Um, Stat Oil announced that it wasn't going to drill in the Alaska uh, in the Alaskan Arctic. And in 2012, the CEO of Total SA said that energy companies should not drill in the Arctic because the risk of oil spills was too high in this pristine environment. So again, it's important to put it in the context. Sure. The environmental community, uh, Lori, obviously is probably taking this as a win, you know, that, that they have affected an, a, a great change in there, which obviously, you know, they have, have done quite a, a, an amount of work to try and, and slow down this push into the Arctic and, and various points uh, up that way. But it is kind of interesting that I don't know if Shell is making this decision if oil prices are up around ninety, a hundred dollars a barrel. Yeah, I would agree. I don't know um, how how much of this can be can be attributed to sort of environmental pressure uh, in the Arctic. I mean, Shell was definitely very eager uh, to continue uh, working with the U.S. regulators to drill, even in 2012, which, as Sarah mentioned, was just a year where nothing went well for them, um, you know, they sort of continued to, to push forward. Uh, so despite concerns about safety and despite pressures from environmentalists, until oil prices plummeted, uh, they, they were much more eager to, to be active in the Arctic. What do you see, though, th then, as the, as the potential for arctic drilling going forward for both of you because this is this is obviously a very uh heated topic it has been for many years and it doesn't seem like that 
I get the feeling we're not. It's going to be there, but we're not going to talk a lot about whether or not we're going to see companies going into the Arctic until we see any kind of significant shift on oil changes. Lori. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think uh, that Shell's decision to withdraw means we should not expect to see really much activity in the Arctic in the near term, and and until oil prices rise. Uh, I think that we're unlikely to see much activity. It's a little different in Europe because there's expected to find more gas there and outside of Russia. That could potentially still be interesting. But um, but the Norwegians, uh, as I think Sarah was just mentioning, have also indicated that they're they're really holding back right now on their investments in the Arctic. Right. I think um, Lori's point to mention other nations is actually really important here. So this was, from my perspective, clearly an economically driven decision. So if the price of oil rises, then, you know, all bets are off. Mm -hmm. Um, Things are going to be reevaluated. But we need to consider the U.S.'s policy with respect to the Arctic, which is kind of a balancing of competing concerns. So the we have an Arctic management plan, which says that we need to balance environmental concerns with the need for economic development, Mm -hmm. with the need for national energy security. And so here's a president um, and an administration that is really trying to move forward on climate change related issues, Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, proposing the clean power plan, but at the same time authorizing drilling in the Arctic, um, which is going to have an impact on climate change. this is a national energy security issue from the perspective of the United States, right, to be able to have domestic sources of oil. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a climate in which the Russian government planted a titanium flag on the <laughs> seafloor directly under the North Pole to claim it for Russia, there are international security issues that are going to continue to drive the U.S. administration with respect to its policies going forward. I, I also discussed the, the kind of the balancing act there is because obviously the the federal government is making this push to, you know, sure, they're going to be selling these leases, but they also want to make sure that the environment is taken care of as well. But there's also an element to this with the relationship with these oil companies, with the state governments as well, as we kind of alluded to uh, with with uh, Governor Walker, uh, maybe trying to open up some some other avenues, Lori. Exactly. So, uh, you know, I think uh, it remains to be seen exactly what Alaska might do. They do not have authority to lease on the continental shelf. So even if somebody was interested, which it's clear that they're not at these prices, there's not much that Alaska could do. Um, You know, we might see them try to work more with their onshore oil and, again, bringing back up issues of drilling in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, which has been the perennial uh, hot topic uh, battle between environmentalists and oil companies in Alaska for, for decades. We're talking with uh, Sarah Light of the Wharton School, Assistant Professor of Legal Studies and Business Ethics, and also joined by uh, Lori Benier of uh, Duke University, an Associate Professor of Environmental Economics and Policy, as well as Co-Director of Rethinking Regulation Program at the Keenan Institute for Ethics as well. Uh, In terms of what we have right now, Lori, and and what we need to probably think about seeing going forward in the next few years, where do the oil companies stand in terms of the want to try and really push forward in the oceans, not just only in the Arctic, but as you were alluding to before, in the South as well? Because that conversation is one that has been very hotly discussed uh, over a variety of uh, of periods. Yeah, so as I mentioned, I, I, I mean, one of the first thoughts I had when I heard that Shell had decided to stop uh, 
drilling operations in the Arctic was, oh boy, what does this mean for, for the Atlantic? Um, and, and in part because, as Sarah mentioned, you know, there hasn't been a, as much interest in the Gulf uh, lease sales that just happened, although that also is a sign of low oil prices, of weak oil prices. Um, but the, the bulk of the activity offshore for the United States is really in the Gulf of Mexico. There had been several more additional planned leases in Alaska, which, you know, given Shell's decision, I think are unlikely to see a lot of attention. And the only new area that's proposed in the next five-year plan, which runs from 2017 to 2022 for the United States offshore, is the Atlantic. Um, And that has been uh, already have become a very controversial and highly debated topic uh, in the in the mid-Atlantic and, and southeastern states, well, whether it, that's a good idea or not. And I know that it, it has been brought up uh, even as far north, I guess, as New Jersey and Delaware as well, uh, that that w- would be a possibility someday, somewhere down the road. And I know there are a lot of people that are lining up to try and, and see if they can uh, put something in play where uh, they can, you know, kind of take this out. They do not want to see oil wells, oil rigs being put off the Atlantic seaboard in any way, shape, or form if they can, if they can avoid it. Yeah, and the, the bulk of the comments that came in under the, the, the proposed five-year plan that, that the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management released were, um, <clears throat> well, the vast majority from non-energy companies were exactly about these concerns. Like, we do not want this, uh, both because of the potential impacts on tourism as well as the environment, and also concerns about the lack of of infrastructure and what type of changes to the communities would be required in order to have the infrastructure needed to support a huge, you know, drilling industry. Is the Deepwater Horizon accident still too fresh in the minds of a lot of people to really expect to see drilling in the Atlantic at any time in the really near future? Yeah, I think that that's absolutely uh, very fresh on people's minds. People still remember, um, you know, the 24/7 news coverage of them trying to stop that well for for a month, and and uh, and the oil um, washing the tar balls washing up on the sands, and the tourist impacts that it had for for several seasons yeah. um, for the Gulf Coast. Uh, beach communities and you know the 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 coastal communities in the south atlantic do not want to have that kind of risk be put upon them sarah absolutely i mean when you think about even just going back to shell in the arctic what impact the deepwater horizon oil spill had in um after that oil spill the u.s government put a moratorium on all oil and gas drilling and it um delayed Shell's plans to move forward. um, And new regulations have been put into place, presumably to help to reduce the risks of catastrophic spills. And in fact, um, Shell was delayed in um, drilling in the Arctic because it didn't have equipment in place, um, some sort of blowout preventer in place um, within a sort of certain number of hours away from its uh, drilling platform. You know, so the government, this is a highly regulated environment, and the Deepwater Horizon spill made it more so. It seems like, though, that where we're talking about the the move out of the Arctic is that right now, uh, because Shell is the biggest player uh, in this process, and they have made the decision to step out, that really we won't see any of those leases acted upon any time in the near future, you think? Not unless the price of oil comes back up. I mean, it 
to date, basically most of the majors have indicated that they are putting on hold indefinitely their plans to drill in the Arctic. Whether they have admitted that it's because of the low price of oil or whether they um, say that it's because of economic uncertainty or regulatory uncertainty, that seems to be the status quo at the moment. Lori? Yeah, I agree completely. I mean, there weren't there weren't very many companies, as Sarah mentioned before, that that have active leases in um, Alaska and the U.S. part of the Arctic, other than Shell. I mean, it's it's Total and um, ConocoPhillips and Repsol. I'm not sure if there were any others. So there weren't very many companies to start with, and none of them had been active except for Shell. And and several of them have subsequently said that they have no plans on being active. So I don't think we're going to see anything. One area that we haven't uh, brought up and, and I'd like to uh, address at this point is whether or not that because of so much concern and the regulatory pressure that is out there from the government, that whether or not there is any level of investor pressure by these companies, uh, or I should say by the people that are invested in these companies to say, listen, we need to do this better, cleaner, and, and with a little bit of, of more concern than maybe we've done in the past. Lori, do you think that's even a, a, a possible concern at this point? Well, I think after Deepwater Horizon, it certainly is. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, before that, I'm not sure people really, ex- people thought that this couldn't happen, right? After Deepwater Horizon and the the huge costs that BP had, both in terms of paying damages and now they've been found grossly negligent, negligent, and so they have significant fines under the Clean Water Act, um, and just the reputational damage, uh, I think that there was certainly um, some concern, both within the companies themselves and from shareholders, to, you know, make sure that they're uh, operating in the safest manner possible. I mean, it's not in their interest to have one of these oil spills either. Well, and, and obviously the other factor from, from a business perspective is that right now, any kind of investment you make to go do any kind of drilling project, as we've seen you know, so much up, up in Canada right now, uh, projects being shut down, the return on investment is so low at this point that it just it doesn't make it profitable for companies to put on, to add on more projects than, than really they need to think about at this point. Absolutely. So the, I mean, in Shell's announcement, um, it made clear that um, its balance sheet um, uh, carries a value of its Alaska position at approximately $3 billion, um, $1.1 billion in future contractual commitments. It's going to have to take a charge. Um, you know, that that's a significant impact for its, its bottom line. And it's very clear that investors, consumers are becoming more conscious about environmental impacts, about social impacts, um, whether it's through environmentally conscious um, investment indices, or whether it's moves among universities and others to divest from fossil fuel sure, stocks, yeah. right? I yeah. mean, this, this, is, this is not a popular investment choice for um, a certain segment of the population right now. And that has to have an impact, at least to a certain extent, um, on its decision whether to proceed. Going to drag some of these uh, oil companies kicking and screaming, Lori, into, into the 21st century. Yeah, I, I uh, you know, they, they're, <clears throat> their business is to drill for fossil fuels, right? So um, there is some risk inherent in that, but I think that it, that um, the Deepwater Horizon accident reminded people about the the 
fact that really catastrophic things can happen, and um, and we've seen some pretty significant changes, I think, in attitude since then. So uh, then, with this with this move uh, by by Shell to back out, uh, do you realistically think that we're going to see? Uh, an oil company make a play in the Arctic anytime in the near future. I mean, even if even if we see oil prices go up into the 60s, which would be a, you know fairly significant, it would be a 50 percent increase at this point. Is that enough of of a change in the potential profit margin for these companies, Lori, to try and maybe start to consider this as a play going forward? Well, I don't know that we we could answer that definitively. My guess is no. I mean, we don't know from Shell's exactly how much oil they found. They said they didn't find enough, right? But we don't know. Yeah. Um, and and I think that given the regulatory requirements that are likely to be required going forward, um, including having, you know, a, a standby rig that can drill a relief well and having many more safety pieces of safety equipment on standby, basically, that the oil prices would have to be significantly higher than 60 to, to sort of justify the investment to bring that oil to market from the Arctic. Right. I mean, you know, Shell acquired the leases in the Beaufort and Chukchi Seas between 2005 and 2008. Mm -hmm. To give a sense of comparison, in 2008, oil reached an all-time high of about $136 a barrel. Now it's less than $50 a barrel. Right. So that's a really yeah. significant drop. Yeah. Um, and you can see how that's going to have an impact on the, the decision-making in the firm. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.